Good evening. One of history's worst mass murders occurred here in Austin today. There are 16 dead and 33 injured. The phone rang and I answered it and it was a dispatcher. He says there's been a shooting up at the university. Blood all over the place. Went up to the observation deck. There's a lady that was a secretary, I suppose. He had killed her, shot her with shot. Welcome back, Blue Grit family. I am Tyler Owen. Clinton McNear. How you been, man? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. How was your? Uh, well, you stayed in Austin last night. I was here overnight. You've been in Austin. You've been in the area for a couple of days now. How does it feel to be in Austin night for three days? It feels good, man. I hadn't even three days here. I haven't been a victim of a crime yet. I'm shocked. Really? Yep. Not yet. I was almost this morning. Uh, panhandler was trying to get me some money there at the corner, but I just passed on through. Just keep on rolling. Just keep on rolling. He didn't know you're East Texas hood rat. He didn't. Uh, you know, I'm a Yankee. Uh, for y'all that don't know, I was referred to as a Yankee several episodes ago by my good friend, colleague, and companion, Clint McNair, because I live north. What did you say of the... North of I-20. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Yankee. still kind of coping with that, and uh, been through counseling, and, and I think I'll kind of get over it. But I'm, 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 I'm making it. I'm settled down in Wimberley, Texas now, for uh, everybody that has asked where I settled in at. So. Where I stays now is Wimberley. Where I stays is Wimberley, Texans, is where we stay. That's the mascot, by the way. The whole town's, I mean, it's just consumed with high school football. So That's a good thing, man. That's a good place. So don't it's call me on Friday night. Kids. Yeah, do not call me on Friday night because I'll be at the game. So. That's why I am flying out of here as soon as this ends, just to go watch Forney Friday night football. They're the Jackrabbits, right? The Jackrabbits. The fighting Jackrabbits. Yeah. Texans are better. Just throwing it out there. Not Cottontails. Jackrabbits. Oh, that's cool. Hey. All right. I welcome our guest. We have on a cool story that I've been waiting to get to to share this story, his story with you guys for a while. Um, Wayman Lewis. Yes. Glad to have you on, sir. <laughs> Glad to be here. Welcome to the Blue Grit stage. What would you tell you me last night? Better to be seen than? Yeah, it's better to be seen than observed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. Um we're going to dive into his story in a bit. We'll build a little groundwork, lay a foundation before we dive into it. But Mr. Lewis was Austin PD back in the day. And uh, as far as I know, the United States' first mass attack or mass shooter, mass murder um, at the UT Tower. But we always like to start off with, who in the hell is Wayman Lewis? Where were you born? Where would you grow up? Tell us who Wayman is. Yeah, I was born, excuse me, in Lampasas, Texas. It's about 70 miles north of here. And I went through kindergarten and high school there. It's a beautiful country. Yeah, it is. He's soft-spoken. He's gentle. It's, it's, all, the years, in, it's all the years working at Austin PD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so grew up in Lampasas? Yeah. Born there and spent your whole, through high school? Yeah. Life was different back then, I'd imagine, than, than the current times. I would, I would think. Oh yeah, just a little bit. You could yeah. probably carry a gun in your in your shotgun rack at school, and yeah, yeah, it's different. In Land Pass, it's a little bit fortunate. Um, Marble Falls and Fredericksburg are kind of blown up, sadly, but Land Passes has not had that uh, yet. A little over six thousand. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Wow. What was life growing up in Land Passes, Texas? Play football, play sports? Well, I played uh, junior high and freshman year, but then uh, 
my father wouldn't sign papers and uh, the coach he says you need to get in there and play you know and I said well I'd love to he said I've got some uh, connections up at Howard Payne at Brownwood you know, probably get you a scholarship so I went back home and told my dad yeah, he's afraid I'd get hurt so wouldn't sign off on it no man yeah but I probably wouldn't have met my bride if I there you go going to Brownwood. There you go. You got high school sweethearts? Oh, no. I robbed a cradle. <laughs> it's always good to get them young. It's always good to Statue get them young. Statue limitations is over on that, so yeah. you're good. Yeah. Yeah, we've been married 56 years. That's, that's awesome. It's awesome. For you listeners out there that, that uh, are in law enforcement, having a supportive spouse, as Wayman can tell you, uh, so important. So congratulations, you guys. And sadly, 50-year marriages, 55-year marriages are the anomaly now, whereas back when we were young, that was the norm. Yeah. Most people were married and uh, stuck through thick and thin, and uh, bless you guys for the relationship you guys have had for 56 well, years. Yeah. Working shift work in you know, a police department, and then later on <laughs> IBM, uh, she would show the kids pictures uh, – this is the real guy i promise this is your dad yeah we we understand believe us so graduated high school where'd wayman go to then i went to uh it was nixon clay business school here in austin and uh, then i joined the guard in 64 and went to fort polk louisiana and Beautiful metropolis. Yeah. <laughs> Pine needles everywhere. Easy. Easy. East Texas and, boy that yeah. hurts his feelings. And then went uh, was stationed out at Fort Bliss in El Paso. Another beautiful metropolis. <laughs> yeah. Man, the military loved you. Yeah. How long did you do in the Guard? Seven years. No, it's six years. What was your job in there? What was your MLS? Well, it's, it changed. I was... Started out supply and transportation, and I was the MP at one time. I was in a combo section one time, and uh, it's it's varied experiences and not much training, you know, for each one of them. But you are one today. Yeah. So, so what years were those that you were in the service? Sixty-four to seventy. Okay. All your family kind of have a military history or is that just uh, something you decided you wanted to do as a fight as during the vietnam war you know so it's you didn't get much choice yeah go do your time yeah was serving as an mp is that what kind of gave you a taste of law enforcement or did you have family in law enforcement no didn't have any family in it uh i was working for my father who was a contractor and uh, I was wanting to establish a retirement and, and uh, you know, steady pay and that kind of stuff. So I was going to go to uh, try to get into DPS, but uh, they were not having a cadet class for several months, and they didn't have a program where they would, you know, put you on different jobs until it started. So. I went and visited the Austin Police Department, and they had a program where they could put you to work, and they were fixing to start a cadet class. 
Was Austin always known? And, and I mean, I'm I'm 38 now. Oh well, I guess I'm 39. Um, I got reminded that the other day by my wife. Uh, have they always been known as a very elite or superior agency within the this in the within this area for their benefit package and their pay? Because uh, they they certainly are now. I mean, yeah, uh, I can recall Sergeant Fisher when he retired. Their retirement system was not anything good i mean rumor had it that he uh got food stamps oh wow and so uh uh after the state took it over it's superb so you got in it before tmrs did i guess wouldn't that be right clint i guess yeah yeah wow in in being having great benefits and all of that is relative last night we were at dinner and and all of us were talking about how difficult law enforcement is now, and nobody will apply to do the job. And I said, yeah, there are handfuls, several handfuls in Texas where you can be a police officer, and in five years you can make $100,000. Yeah. And yeah, people are still not applying to do the job. Nobody <laughs> will do the job. That's a clue, right? And uh, would you say you thought your first take-home pay was roughly? Uh, it's 300 dollars a month. Wow. Austin Police Department, three hundred something bucks a month. Man, I'd give anything that, to get that paycheck right now. Get you some of that. Get it buddy. framed, right? That's insane. Wow. And the retirement wasn't any good, but since the state took it over, I've still got friends that have been there, and I know one guy. He ended up retiring with like a hundred and three percent of oh, his well. salary. Yeah. Of course, he stayed there a little bit longer than he had to. <laughs> yeah. Right. I would have too for that much. Yeah. So what year was that you reached out to Austin? You were looking at DPS and they reached out to Austin PD. What year was that? 1966. And, and got hired before a cadet academy started? Yep. And at that point, Austin still, they, they, they ran their own academy and DPS ran right. theirs. Because right. I think at one point I'd heard that they had ran one in conjunction with another, but I, I haven't confirmed that. No, it was individual. Okay. I was in the 30th cadet class. <laughs> wow. So what'd you do between hire date and going to academy cadet class? Well, uh, uh, I probably was doing construction more than likely. On your own or through the the department? Okay, okay. Well, like Dad got hired, I think in 67, he was 20, and they didn't have an academy, so he had to drive around and check on houses where people put in vacation requests. He would have to drive around and say that he was looking at houses. uh, (laughs) They had, you know, a program where you could work as a dispatcher, you could work in the jail. Oh, yeah. You could work in central records. So how old were you then? 22. And how long did you have to kind of fly in a holding pattern until you went to the academy? Yeah, about two or three months is about it. I was pretty fortunate. Okay. What was the academy back then? How long? If I recall, it was about uh, 90 days or something like wow. that. Wow. <laughs> and that's, and that's probably long, yeah. really, for the uh, other majority yeah. of classes the academy's going on. Yeah. But honestly, yeah, we have guests on that said they got hired and they're pretty much told, "Here's a badge, go, go catch bad guys. Set forth and conquer, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. We had uh, Ronda Lord on. Shout out to Ronda Lord, and he said that they, they, had, they had guys that had to go back to the academy. I mean, even after being a cop. Oh, when they when they really yeah when they came out with like T Cole and re- made requirements for academy training. Officers have been on the street like five or six years. They had to go to a police academy. <laughs> Can you imagine that? The, the bitching yeah. and gripping that happened yeah. there in Griffin? Yeah. Oh. Imagine how boring it was. 
Oh, well, yeah, I'm sure. You got a guy in the crowd knows more than the instructor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So went through the academy 90 days. Um, what what part of the year, when was that? Uh, I think, I, well, I'd gotten out of the academy and had to go to summer camp. And Oh, uh, that's right. I remember you. And uh, whenever I got back, well, you know, I could, I was commissioned and Two weeks later, Whitman got the old tower. So you're you leaving the academy, going to FTO, or hitting the street was delayed two weeks. Going to summer camp to the guard. Was there an FTO program when you came back from your summer camp? They assigned you with no, someone. No, I was a commissioned officer and put you on the street. Here's Here a car. Go, go yeah. get after it. Yeah. And so now we have FTO. So I'll spend three months in a car riding around with an FTO and they're shadowing me, telling me, showing me how to write a report, how to make an arrest, how to do this. You just kind of fend for yourself or did you depend on senior officers to kind of guide you? Or? No, you did what you had to do. That's about it. Wow. Uh, it's, I, I was, uh, whatever you call it, FTO. I had several guys that, you know, I had responsibility. This is years after you became a cop. Right. Okay. Wow. So on the job training is pretty much you had whenever you graduated the academy, they said set forth and conquer and your, your commission go do your thing. Well, you know, we'd ride every now and then with somebody. Right. But, uh, it, uh, it was a good academy. Learned a lot. I'm sure. I'm sure. And that was summer 66. Uh, yeah. I think that's a song. Isn't there a song about summer of 66? That could have been writing about him. Be. Yeah. If not, we can write it. <laughs> we damn sure can. <laughs> Before we dive off into the, the, the really the big story that we're going to talk about today, as a kid in Lampasas, uh, did you hunt a lot? Did you have a yeah. lot of exposure? Okay. Uh, was that a common yeah. thing that y'all? Well, I've had a real good friend that uh, his dad had uh, lease places and ranch and his uncle and uh, – did deer hunting and raccoon hunting, jackrabbit hunting. So ha- ha- me handing you a, a, a quote-unquote deer rifle, what we all common do, you know, it doesn't matter if you're hunting yeah. deer or not. It's not, you know your way around it. Well, when I was uh, in uh, basic training, uh, I qualified with an M14. Open sights, though? Yeah. With no scope? Nope. Okay. Yeah. Scope's but a luxury. I, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I had a lot of experience shooting, you know, at uh, – Varmints and that kind of stuff. And yeah. I just wanted to touch on that before we yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great, uh, delve, a great question. Delved into. Dived in. Yeah, into the story. Yeah. So you've been on the street two weeks <laughs> out of the academy on patrol. What kind of car do you were you in? You remember? What squad car? car? It was a. Uh, Please say Ford. Plymouth. Oh. Plymouth. Like yeah. a Fury. Uh, I don't think it's that one. Probably a Belvedere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Driving around on patrol, and for our listeners, um, uh, clearly there was no cell phones in, in the uh, 60s. It was before cell phones. It was before any kind of handheld radio or anything. You And even for our young officers that are out there, there was no handheld radio. So no. when you leave your car... You lost communication. You're done. Yep. Your communication with anybody you, you, is zero. Uh, you did what you think you needed to do. And it, uh, it was uh, 
quite interesting. So summer 66, you're driving around in your Plymouth, two weeks on the job, got the world whipped, big police in Texas. You know what shift you were working that day? It was working day shift, and I had been investigating a uh, collision. Okay. I was working downtown. I was working a shift that had uh, three different areas, and that particular day I was working downtown. And uh, I went into our show-up or show-down area. Briefing? Yeah, and gave them the phone number back there where I was going to be, the extension. Because, like I said, you didn't have any radios or anything. And so the phone rang, and I answered it, and it was a dispatcher. He says there's been a shooting up at the university. He said you need to go up there. But that's the only information I had. And what time frame? So this this day shift – Midsummer, what 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 was that patrol shift like? Twelve hours. It, well, I was on traffic at one time and patrol, and I, if it was pa- patrol, you get off at three, seven okay. to three. Okay. Do you remember what, what time that phone call you got uh, about the shooting? Yeah, it was uh, probably about one thirty. I guess. Okay. One. Okay. And uh, I went up to the university, and there. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but there's a uh, crosswalk from uh student uh union building over to the where it goes up to the mall and that was the only parking there wasn't any other parking spaces so i went and parked in that uh crosswalk and stepped out of the car i had my shotgun and my pistol of course and uh, one of the kids which i was a kid myself <laughs> but, uh, one of the kids says you know you might want to Get out of there. He's already shot several people right in that area. So when you're driving there and the only information you have is there's been a shooting. Been a shooting. Clearly you're not thinking mass murder. You're thinking somebody shot somebody. Yeah, it never had happened before. Somebody shot somebody. And we're speaking of University of Texas at Austin. Just to be clear, that way people who don't know about the story. Hook them, baby. God. (laughs) (laughs) And you stepped out of the car. You had a probably a pump 12-gauge. Yep, I had a 12-gauge shotgun and my pistol. And after I was told by that individual that he had already shot some people there, I hopped in the car and put my shotgun in the rack because up in the tower wasn't going to do a whole lot of good. Did he tell you that he was in the tower? Yeah. Okay. And you could hear the shot. Okay. So you're at this point, you're on scene. Somebody tells you he's already shot. So you're, you're starting to kind of connect the dots. So, yeah. oh, shit, this is a guy that's in the tower shooting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And your handgun's probably a Smith & Wesson 38? Yeah. Two-inch barrel or something, probably? No, it wasn't. It was about a four-inch barrel. All right. Getting out there in dirty, hairy size. (laughs) But uh, whenever I moved my car out of the way, I was approached by a uh, young man. And uh, he says, you want a deer rifle? I said, yeah, sure do. (laughs) And there's no SWAT back then? No, no SWAT. They didn't have any kind of weapons or anything. What they had was some old uh, skaggy rifles that they'd seized, you know, way back when. And uh, I told him, I said, sure. And he says, well, I've got a 308 with a 3 to 9 variable in my Volkswagen over there. I said, well, let's go get it. And this is just a civilian. You have no clue. He's just offering his deer rifle. Wow. He was the manager of the chicken place up there. (laughs) And, uh, he had a box of shells in his 308, and uh, I told him I would be in the architectural building, 
And uh, he says, well, if I go get another one, can I shoot? I said, sure. <laughs> oh, God, this is awesome. And he was and in he, a Volkswagen he, Beetle? Yeah. And uh, he shows up in the architectural building, and he had a 308 with a 309 and a case of shells. I said, oh, my goodness, here we are. You know, be able to hold them off for a while. And uh, we were, there's old-timey windows in that building, it roll out, and uh, there was uh, pupils inside, and I told them to stay away from the windows. And there's one of them had a transistor radio, and apparently one of them had a, a camera. They they took a picture of me whenever I was firing out the window, and I had a piece of newspaper that I stuck in there to protect his uh, weapon, you know, from the metal frame. And then also to uh, maybe hide the silhouette of me being in the window. You right. Know? And uh, maybe that would confuse him. But uh, So how old are you at this point? How old? Yeah. 22. You're a 22-year-old kid, for all intents and purposes. Yeah, yeah. Two weeks on the job. Yeah. Which – you know, you don't be, be even start really processing how to become a cop till about ten or fifteen years in. Yeah. And this guy's looking at like, oh, he's a uniform cop. He's probably thinking, hell yeah, let's let's get after it. Hands you a rifle, which that's random in a sense anyway. And you have the fortitude to, to realize that I need to get higher ground and do all that. Yeah, I went to the second floor of the architecture, which it's the highest floor they had then, and I guess it's still that way, but. uh the transistor radio that the kid had, I, I think it was K, K-N-O-W, perhaps. When you're talking about the kid, you're talking about the guy that gave, gave you the rifle? No, I'm talking about one of the kids that was in the building. <clears throat> one of the students had a transistor okay. radio. That's how you realized what was going That's how you were keeping up well, with everything? Well, yeah, because the radio announcer, apparently, he was, had the advantage of seeing where he was shooting from. Okay. And in the architectural building, I could see the west and the south side of the tower. And, uh, of course, before we all got there, he was using, there's a ledge about 18 inches wide all the way around the tower there. And uh, he was, you know, using that as a stand to shoot. Uh, and after, you know, people started returning fire, he had moved down started shooting out of some drain holes. There's three drain holes hit on each side of the, Tower kind of looked like gun ports. Yeah, I mean it was not designed for a fortress, but it sure, sure was effective for it. Right. So, uh, hang on, I want to back up a sec. Twenty-two-year-old kid stepping out of your police car, and you could hear it rounds. Did you realize it's probably rifles? Oh yeah, you could tell. It was Big loud crack. Yeah. That's a rifle. Yeah. And the policeman that was killed, he was on my shift. Billy Speed. Two weeks on the job. You've been through the academy, but that's like saying, well, you did driver's ed online. You clearly know how to drive. <laughs> you you know in theory what to do, but you don't know how to do the job. Did you know the campus well enough to know that, know. well, let me get in the architecture? What made you get in the architecture building? Proximity to the tower. What made you take newspaper and think that you well, I better not silhouette myself? I, well, yeah, I, you know, I was – as a picture that I have that the kid did, uh, the pupil, uh, he could definitely see you, 
you know. And I thought, well, I put paper around the gun in in, in the window, and it kind of hide my head. And so, uh, but he's such a good man. Did you catch the part? Yeah, exactly. Why he put newspaper under the because he didn't want to. He didn't want to scratch that man's man's rifle. rifle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mind boggling to me. I was thinking about others. That that right there is the definition of of servant. You know. Um, So from the time that you got out of your car to where the 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 shots are ringing out, what was that time frame uh, as far as you starting to actually engage? It seemed like an eternity, really. Right. So you really don't know because we're not. There's no this dispatch probably isn't. You know, for you listeners out there that are 25, 26 years old that work at Plain OPD, Garland, uh, Grand Prairie, uh, even Austin PD now. You know, we we always depend, and you may have been off patrol at that point in time in CID, but I would always, when I'm working like a traffic accident, I would need to get times or even like a major shooting, I would reference back to dispatch and say, okay, well, at this point, this is when this call was dispatched, and I could – y'all don't have that shit back then. No, what was my know. arrival time? Well, what was my – Yeah, yeah. Well, there was so much activity. There. Right, right. Like a – I mean, they, just, they didn't have time for so the transistor radio that the student in there had, the DJ was. I don't, I don't think it was a DJ. I think it was an announcer that, you know, they could see, you know, where he was, and, and uh, that's whenever they would announce it you know, south or the west side. And I told uh, that uh, gentleman to use his rifle. I said, when they're shooting from the west or the south side, I said. I'll start at the left, you know, drain. You start at the right, and we'll meet in the middle and see if we can get a ricochet shot. At that angle, you couldn't see, you know, anybody in there because it was such a pronounced, uh, you know, angle. And uh, we would place our bullets. And you can see some of the old pictures where the, not necessarily my shots or his shots, but People were hitting the building. Were there other were there other officers uh, or even civilians in, involved or engaged in, in in returning fire back to the tower, or was well, it just yeah, you? There were several, you know, people. DPS had, you know, arrived, and uh, there was uh, civilians shooting at him, but uh, you couldn't see where he was because of the angle, and hoping to get either Rick Shear. Stuff in his eyes or whatever the case yeah. may be. So we'll lay over some of the photos and stuff for the listeners to be able to understand um, what you're talking about. But those gutter drain holes that you were trying to place rounds into that were essentially a fortress with gun ports in it, you can see them in photos, but how big? I would uh, say there's probably – Six to ten inches wide and probably uh, twelve to fourteen inches long. It's a little bit bigger than a football. Yeah. And yeah, so he was shooting out of. And you're on a second story, shooting up there, basically trying to put rounds in a right, football. Right. Good God. And uh, there was uh, one time that uh, we were firing there, and I noticed it in my scope. On the south side toward the east end of it, there was a rifle that was laying on the uh, uh, ledge. And I told that guy, I said, look, I said, 
when they were not shooting up there in him, I said, let's see if we can hit that rifle. <laughs> and uh, it was shot a few times, and then uh, all of a sudden it disappeared. Well, later on, you know, years later, found out why it disappeared. The uh, feeder tube had been hit, and it knocked that rifle out of commission. Which is what you exactly what you were trying to do. Yeah, but I'm not saying I hit it. It wasn't. You know, somebody did. Yeah. I would think that there wasn't a lot of people with the forethought to think, Mm-mm. if I can at least get one of those weapons out of battery right. and limit, I, I don't. I would imagine there wasn't a lot of people with the forethought to do that. Well, you didn't know how many weapons he had up there, and that might have ended it all right then if you right. could, you know, knock that one out. But, uh, of course, he had several weapons. How long do you think from the time you arrived until, um, I guess, not really the all-clear because there was no, no real communication to tell you all there was an all-clear it's probably an hour and a half or two God hours. Bless. And uh, I don't know. In the, in the architecture building? Yeah. Do you know about how many rounds do you, you think you fired? No, I didn't. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> Every time he was on the west or the south side, I would, you know, crack around on two, two rounds. Wow. And he would shoot the other. Yeah. But, uh, I went back up in the tower after, and I don't know how they knew where I was. You know, like I said, well, there was no radio. There was not any kind of uh, muster point, if you will. And you just did what you thought you needed to do. But uh, some student came up there, you know, later on said, they want you to come to the tower, you know, to help secure it. Well, uh Handed the guy his rifle back. Appreciate you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I went over to the tower and didn't take the elevator all the way up. You know, you never knew what door open there was. But uh, going up the staircase, and he had killed a couple of people, you know, in that staircase, and it was just blood all over the place. Went up to the observation deck, and uh, there's a lady that was a secretary, I suppose she was, and a receptionist. He had killed her, shot her with shotgun, and blood all over the the uh, reception area. And later on, you know, a few minutes, it was kind of all clear he was going to go out there and recover his body because he had been shot with buckshot uh, by the, one of the policemen that went up in the tower. And uh, lo and behold, walk out there, and there's still bullets flying around, hitting the oh, wall. Oh, shit. You know, yeah. People weren't able to get to notice that you know, he was out. They didn't know the war was right. over. Uh-uh. So I said, it's not worth that. <laughs> He's good. He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I went back inside and waited to see if, you know, they were going to quit shooting. So we had dinner last night, and we were talking about some of it. And one of us asked, do you know who the kid is that handed you the rifle? And he goes, no. And I didn't intentionally ask because I didn't didn't want to know. 
Uh, there was felonies being committed, but I didn't. I didn't want to expose him to any of that stuff. And there's a in the photo. So, the photo that we'll show of you sitting in an architecture building. If you're looking at the photo, the the unknown civilian, your partner, <laughs> the, <laughs> your sniper assistant, he's sitting to your right. Yeah. He's shooting out a window. Yeah. And then between y'all on the floor is the case of shells he came back with. Yep. And you never saw him again after that day? No, never did. You know, a couple a couple episodes ago. I didn't want to look for him, you know. I mean, it's. Well, to, to, but to experience something like that with, with another human being, to see the devastation that was caused that day, for the most part, I mean, you're from central Texas, Austin, you know, the bell tower of Austin, the University of Austin in Texas is just, a, it's an iconic figure. To experience something that tragic, um, you know, we had talked about, you know, Guardian Angel with Aaron Slater's episode. You know, you never know. You never know who or why God puts people in places. And I mean, to be, to have a rifle like that in downtown Austin, um, you know, it's just. Well, he had heard about the shooting and they came down there to see if he could help. Right. But to have two rifles. Yeah. You know, no, I don't know. There was a sporting goods store that was. Right across, I uh, think, about 22nd Street in Guadalupe, CNS Sporting. And I don't know if he went and bought another rifle or borrowed a rifle. You know, he was uh, in that same locale as far as businessman. And I don't know if they loaned him one or what. But uh, Well, but you think about the series of events that occurred. You've been on the job two weeks. Don't have the training to go through something like that. Luckily, you're in the guard. Because if you hadn't been in the guard, have been exposed to some of that, yeah, you may not have had some of the tactical mindset right. to think about it. Right. But then you showed up, and somebody tells you don't park there. Two people have already been parked there. Then some unknown guy driving a sweet Volkswagen Beetle has a rifle. If he hadn't had that, you wouldn't have had a rifle. No, uh-uh. would have had to depend on uh, shotgun, and or- which is ineffective. You might as well have been yeah. shooting spitballs up there. <laughs> yeah. There's a damn good chance you took one of his weapons out of battery. You or somebody did. Yeah. Which probably slowed down the effectiveness of his assault. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole series of events that day that are crazy because if any one of them hadn't happened, everything could have changed differently. Right, right. Because you showed up to a sniper fight without, I mean, with a pea shooter, basically. And there was just a whole series of events. There was no SWAT back then, and... For our young listeners, law enforcement listeners, SWAT came about in L.A. after sometime after this. But back then, you have a and there and that was probably, I think that was the first mass shooting, mass murder yeah. in the United yeah. States. And it's hard to imagine cell phones not being around, not having any communication, you know, right with the outside world, if you will. Yeah, I want to touch on something real quick because I could tell the emotional impact it had just by mentioning his name. Um, one of your coworkers was hit and died that day. Billy Speed. Um, had, did you know him? He was on my shift. Yeah. He left uh, his wife and two boys behind. Yeah. How many, how many civilians in law enforcement were hit that day? How many what? 
How many civilians were injured or shot and police oh, officers there was, injured or shot? Uh, 30 people injured, uh, 14 killed, and two more, his wife and his mother, the day before he had st- stabbed them to death. That's right. In their bed. So overall, that whole activity was like 16. How many police officers? One. Billy Speed was the only? Wow, I thought there was more. No, Billy Speed. And he was on the ground arriving, I guess, similar to what you did when he got well, shot? Well, I don't know. I kind of read some of the stuff there, and it said that he was approaching, you know, the tower, and he got shot. But I, I heard at that time that uh, he was behind a wall that had the rock or whatever staggered and had openings in between mm-hmm. the rocks and stuff and oh Whitman he he was, was an ex marine and he uh qualified expert yeah. you know and I heard that they had shot him through the wall but I've also heard that he was running up the mall there and got right. so they come in and tell you hey they need you in the tower you go up there there's some folks that don't know the war is not over and they're still yeah. taking pot shots, so you still retreat shooting. back. Yeah. Where, where'd you go from there? What'd you do? Well, we'd sit out there for a minute until they quit firing, but it, they didn't do it, so I went ahead and left because they had plenty of people, you know. The, oh, the cavalry the showed up probably by then. The ambulance and all that stuff, you know, they had stretchers and they went out there and loaded them up. But, uh, yeah, he was... Uh, Shot with buckshot. So he was dead. Wasn't able to worry about him coming to life. Good. It's you know? a so 22-year-old kid involved in the first mass attack, mass murder incident, sniper attack in the United States. You just get in your car and get back on patrol? Well, my shift was over. And they wanted uh, everybody to write a supplement to it, but I'll just leave it at that. I, I, there's a reason I didn't do it, but uh, one, I guess maybe 10 years later, one of the major networks showed that picture of myself, you know, shooting out of the window. And I wrote him a letter and explained who I was and tried to get the picture and never did hear anything from him. And then another 10 or 20 years later, a newspaper came out with uh, the picture. And I wrote uh, Austin American Statesman about, you know, getting a copy of it. And uh, never did hear anything from them. So, you know, that bothered me for years. And uh, every last Wednesday of the month, there's several policemen meeting, burning break bread together and uh, we went over there one time and I asked them if they knew anybody that may have access to some of the documentation from the uh, tower incident and they said well they had a resident historian if you will you know it's been so many years and uh, I said what does anybody have his name and his phone number and they did and I I got home that night from Burnett, 
and uh, gave him a call and described the picture. He said, yeah, I've got it right here. So I said, would you send it to me? He said, yes, I will. But what's cool, interesting about that, you didn't know your photo was taken that day. No. One of those students took the picture in. I don't know. I guess they turned it into the police department or something. I don't know how they ended up getting it. So from the summer of 66, roughly what year was it that you're watching TV and yourself pops up? Probably on about the, 10 years. So you had no idea you were photographed. Ten years later, you're watching TV, and you're like, wow, that guy yeah. looks really familiar. Well, uh, no, I recognize it. Well, and, yes, but know, I was joking, but you're like, that, yeah. that's me on TV? Yeah, and uh, the thing of it is, it, it uh, I don't know, it, it it was. What was that like? Kind of flashback type, you know. Yeah. Well, because you just said something uh, that, trig- that triggered me. You didn't write a supplement. So many, and we won't dive on the on the why. But what I'm saying is, is that. Well, I'll tell you why. To write the supplement, I would have had exposed to go. Yeah. Yep. And you didn't want to do that. No. Um, you just left it as it was that last man. Yep. As politically motivated as uh, the administration was, and me being a newbie. Yep. That and you know I was afraid. Even though there's felonies being committed, and you know the guy's justified in shooting, so was I justified. I I didn't want uh, him to have to go through all that. Let me ask you something, just and we can edit this out. When you saw that photo, being the fact of of you trying to protect the the the, the citizen, you being a two week officer, we know how police work can be somewhat of a hazing profession. Was it almost like that's my confirmation that I helped out. That's my confirmation that I was there. And that was my confirmation that I did my part. And that's why you wanted to have it for, for that reason. Or was it just because it's a, it's honestly a badass picture in our history. Yeah. For history. Yeah. It was me. And you know, I wanted to have the picture because there's, I was involved in something that was a first. Yeah. And I, I just, I guess, pride. For yeah, 100%. I don't know if I'd been able to sleep for a few days if I'd have been sitting well, and watching my picture you pop know, up. The and, thing of it is, uh, it's like it happened yesterday, and it's been 57 years ago. I recall, you know, all of the particulars of it. And uh, I wanted the picture, I guess, to kind of verify it, bona fide, whatever. Yeah. And that's where I was going a while ago with 22-year-old kid. Luckily, you had guard experience to give you some tools to manage with it. But you're involved in the first mass sniper mass killing in America. And then shifts over and you just go home. Yeah. You're supposed to figure out how to yeah. How do you manage, they, juggle, they, figure out how you navigate through? They did not have any kind of mental health. Mental health no. Anything. And uh, I'm fortunate, I guess, that I had the military experience because I'm a qualified expert with the rifle, but I had a lot of experience in land passes, hunting. Yeah. 
but went home that afternoon. You were there two or three hours, went home because your shift was over. Wayman goes home, then you get up the next morning and go like right back to work like nothing ever happened. Yeah. Wow. And I don't know if uh, that PTSD or whatever they call it or whatever, it, why I still remember it, you know, like it was yesterday. I don't know if it's uh, it's probably seared into your brain. There's some images you just won't ever. Yeah. But that that's 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 incredible it's sad it's we've evolved but to be involved in something like that that'd be like being at the world trade center and then at the end of the day going well i'll see you in the morning see you back at work in the morning long day but yeah thanks for your service but was there ever a debrief anybody ever call you and hey was how are you doing or just get on the horse and but our profession has grown so much since you know, especially since you were, you know, beginning then, uh, and we and we we talk about this on a regular basis about mental health and about how you know, law enforcement's grown and and evolutionized. Just thankful to the military for the mental health aspect, but I couldn't imagine going through something like that, losing an officer, a fellow officer on your shift, and and what he left behind, and having to deal with that on a day to day basis. And nobody, uh, nope. We had an officer with Beaumont. Uh, his partner was killed in a vehicle accident, and they had. You know, officers with him, twenty four seven. I think for several days after the fact, and and you know, it's just a testament of of I think where where we've grown and how much we need to grow uh, moving forward. Yeah, it's getting better. It's still a work in progress, yeah. but it's getting better. But back then, it wasn't acceptable. But well, that's the only thing well, everybody knew. Nobody did anything about it. You know, right? Yeah, as, yeah. They learned so much. Do you think when you check back in service the next day, did it cause you to view your job, your role, how you carried yourself differently? Because you're a super grounded guy. I mean, you, you're as grounded, humble as you are. Or was it just kind of like, well, that was a horrible freaking day, but I going back to work. Do you feel like it changed? You were different? Probably more cautious. You know, you take for granted, you know, that just a job, but uh, there's potential is there. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole lot to be forced to learn at the age of 22. Somebody, you got an old crusty guy that's been around 20 years and been in shootings, and maybe that's not as devastating, but 22-year-old kid, that's that's a whole lot to be thrown at at one time. Yeah, and you, you know, just like walking up the staircase or going out into the lobby up there with blood everywhere you know <coughs> bodies laying there so he had assassinated basically the secretary and i think there's a couple of tours that was in the stairwell the shooter, yeah and just assassinated people man uh so you finished your career obviously with austin pd had no, m- many I, years after that or? i left uh i've worked there for nine years and i went to ibm uh, the retirement system until the state took it over, it was pretty much non-existent. There right. was, like I was talking about Sergeant Fisher, you know, he had food stamps after yeah. he retired. And uh, IBM uh, had better benefits uh, once you retire. And so 
I went to IBM and uh, worked there for 21 years. Yeah. So I want to hit on transitioning away from Coward Whitman. On this show, and it's it's a theme that we've not been intentional about really at all, but it comes up almost on every episode, is young people being affected. Well, I'll say, we take for granted as cops the effect that we can have on people. And, and even when I was younger, I'm like, man, community policing, that's stupid, man. But it's been a theme on our show almost over and over now. Yeah. The impact that somebody can have on a young person's life. We had Aaron Slater, owner of Relentless Defender, on that said he was down and out on his way to just being a thug. And a cop took an interest in him, a legit, sincere interest in him. And it turned his life around, and Slater's an immensely successful, wealthy, successful national figure because one officer took a second to spend a moment with him and care about him. And you had the opportunity. Um, was that early in your career, midway in your career? Tell Share, share with our listeners about. Are you talking about the association with Bruce? Yes, sir. Uh, he was in high school, and uh, – uh, he, according to his daddy, he said he wasn't interested too much. And uh, there was three of us policemen that uh, befriended him and uh, gave him direction. He he ended up, you know, getting through high school. And his dad thanked us for influencing him. Well, he'd gotten a job, interested, he was... Uh, Accepted to play uh, to be a guard in uh, Huntsville, and we encouraged him, Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, that's you don't you're around nothing but crud of the world, and uh, you know, go to work down the police department. And so he went, and he's he's gotten his uh, master's degree, and he's been the assistant chief, he's been the chief, he's in several different places, you know, that they put him to work as their chief. And uh, it's, he's just a good kid. How old were you when you were when you were kind of mentoring and, and trying to help him? Well, we were, there was three of us, and we were all about the same age, and it was probably 26, 27. And he's 15, 16, 17 high school kid? And y'all go to a call on his house? Out, what no. What made his dad reach out and ask if y'all could? Know, he worked at Sage out there. And uh, we met him out there. And uh, he just, you know, good kid. And you guys influenced him. And look at him today. You know, it goes exactly back to, you know, community policing is not something new to law enforcement. It's always been around. It's just been highlighted recently because of the anti-law enforcement rhetoric. But that's just confirmation that, you know, Good people are going to continue to be good people. Yeah. It doesn't make a damn if you're a cop or a fireman or, you know, the, the the local meat market guy. You know, good people are going to be good people. And it's just confirmation that, again, law enforcement's always had community policing. We've always had an influence on everybody. And it's just sad that the anti-law enforcement rhetoric kicked up here recently. This it, this is what yeah. needs to happen. It's Relationships. Right. Yeah. 
relationships, communication is 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 community policing. Yeah, it's been around forever. To your point, Dad worked at Dallas. Said in the '60s and '70s, there's a legendary captain there named Will Fritz. Captain Fritz was a legend. And Dad said, like in '70 or '72, there uh, had like a deployment working robberies, carjackings, and uh, <laughs> he said he goes upstairs, and it happened all the time. But he said he goes upstairs one day, and Captain Fritz said, "What are y'all working on?" He's like, "Oh, we got two guys that are robbing everybody, and what do they drive? Well, they're in a maroon Cadillac." Well, that's going to be one of them is going to be that Washington that Washington kid, and Dad said we've been chasing them for weeks. We can't catch them. Nobody will cooperate. Family won't cooperate. Captain Fritz picks the phone up, dials a number from memory. Miss Washington, Captain Fritz down here. Your boys are up to no good. They're not. They're they're getting in trouble. I don't want to have to loose my dogs on them. So if you go ahead and bring them boys down here, I won't loose my dogs. And Dad's like. For three weeks, we chased their ass all over Dallas. Captain Fritz calls Mrs. Washington. Miss Washington loads them up in her car, drags them up there, and hands them to Captain Fritz. And Dad's like, we chased them for freaking three weeks. Well, that's community policing. That's right. He had a relationship. 100%. He had built respect. He had built capital, collateral with her that she trusted when Captain Fritz called. Yeah. I'm going to drag my kids up there and turn them in to the police. And most likely that goes back to his patrol days too. I mean, I'm sure that's exactly how he was on the beats and Dallas and and so forth. But yeah, community police. That's 1971. That's community police. That's right. hundred percent. hundred percent. Well, did we ever figure out, because I'm not as familiar with the story as you are, uh, and especially you, what was the motive behind Whitman doing all this? I'm not sure there was a motive, but he just, uh, they laid it off some. He had a, a uh, tumor, but it never has been proven that that's what it was. I, I don't know, pressure, I guess, as far as lack of success in college. Why he chose UT? Oh, that's right. He gotten thrown out of college and was kind of just a, turning into a flunky, well, I think. He, Gone in to the Marines, but then he came back and was going to go to school, but he wasn't doing too well. And Us Marines aren't very smart sometimes. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but I'm not a Marine, so I can't. I'm not going to say anything. I hope he didn't bring any crayons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would, well, we, would we not hit on? Uh, it's pretty much, I think, covered the thing pretty well. How, how old are you, Wayman? I'm uh, 50. 79. You're 79 years old. You were a, a policeman for the city of Austin, obviously, for nine years. Yeah. I think it's important. I always like to touch on this, and I always like to stay. If I know someone has served, and, and, and you know, what's, what's sad is the fact that military, God love our, our, our men and women who serve in the United States military. They, they do remarkable things daily. Uh, for the most part, it's, it's unseen because they're not amongst, you know, the civilian life. But when policemen serve their communities, and, and and what I said earlier about you retire, you did retire. You didn't you didn't yeah. get back in law enforcement, but you're not, you know, quote unquote retired because you didn't have that retirement at the end of your stuff with Austin PD. And so, for instance, veterans who serve four years, two years, or however long, they're considered veterans from that point forward. So you're a 79 year old man that served the city of Austin as a policeman, and I think it's so important for us and our generation to number one highlight that. Number two, thank you for your service and and have these type of discussions. 
because your career is not defined by that newspaper. Your career is defined by nine years of dedicated service to the citizens of Austin. Just like your success story by you talking to that young man that day. That's just one of so many lives that you had an impact on in nine years. And so from a guy that was in law enforcement for 20 years and now serves with TMPA, thank you. Um, I think it's important, again, for the listeners out there to, to stop and do that when you know that somebody has served, retired. Wyoming's generation needs that. And I think it's important for us to start recognizing that and doing more of a job of that. Well, and it's a testament to that a lot of young people, I think, can take a lot from. Because I've known you for... 15 or 16 years, probably 17 years. A lot of this I didn't know. And to know the quiet, humble guy you are, you went on with life. His family's sitting in here, raised a beautiful family. And he didn't allow this to define him. He didn't allow it to break him. He's managed. We all figure out our way to manage through it. But to go on and have three kids, beautiful wife, a marriage that's lasted 56 years, yeah. which is unheard of, unfortunately, now. Yeah. I think it's a testament. There's a lot of 22-year-old kids that could learn a whole lot Yeah. Um, from what has gone on and, and things of our, what is it, if we don't, if we don't remember our past, we're doomed to repeat it or we're doomed to repeat it. There's a whole lot that has been laid as a foundation from the generations before. Um, and Wayman, I've always respected. He's just like the quiet, humble hero because that's some real man tough shit that went yeah. on that day. Hundred percent. And um, he's as good as he's as good as they come. Well, I don't know if you've ever watched the Blue Grid episode, and uh, I'm not going to be upset by this because you probably never drove what I like to uh, highlight my vehicles. But we always like to end the episodes with three. What do you call it? Rapid fire questions. Rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Did you study for the questions? Yes. You did. <laughs> did Clint let you in on the secret of, of, of what to no, answer? I don't know what you're going to ask. Okay. So the three questions. Question I'm one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a cop. You're supposed to, right? What's your favorite line from a cop movie or a cop movie? Uh, make my day. Make my day. That was just that was Wednesday. Yeah, that's right. We had a guest on Wednesday. It's like, yeah. I think make my day is my line. Yep, hundred percent. And then you, what's your what was your favorite patrol car you drove during your time of service? Or what's your favorite police car? Uh, as far as the performance, other than when you turn the corner, the thing would die. Was the '69 uh, Ford had the, what 429 in it? It's a Ford though. There's a Ford, though, right? Yeah. Okay. They had a, a Plymouth early on, and not the Belvedere with a 318 or whatever it is we had off the high wind. <laughs> but they had some some pretty good running Plymouths. Just, just so we're clear, they didn't have Crown Vicks back then. <laughs> well, yeah, it was. That 59, I mean, 69, it was... Uh, it was a nice car. Yeah, but, but it was a Ford. I just, yeah. I was, Clint loves yeah. Chevy Caprices, and it's kind of become yeah. a little battle between he and, and I. This thing, I got after a burger one time at this Nukes Pharmacy, 
Every time I turned the corner, the car would die, and that's that carburetion on that Ford. <laughs> but you know, we were doing good, Wayman. Let's let's move on to the next question. I don't want to talk about Ford dying in the middle of the. So was it three on the tree? <laughs> no, it's automatic. Automatic. Yeah. Have air conditioning. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. I got to tell you a funny story about Dallas PD and about air conditioning. I forget the guy's name, but he taught our academy class, and he said that the first write-up he ever got in his police Is career. Cookie? No. Uh, he went on to be a – they called him Dr. Doom. The guy looked really I'll, – I'll, okay. I'll leave that – yeah. Right. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. Uh, but his first write-up with, with DPD, he didn't have any AC uh, air conditioners in, in, in the vehicle, and I guess there's an ice plant in Dallas. And so him and his partner had the idea – well, by God, they've written letters to the sergeant, the lieutenant, the captain, and nobody's listening to them. So he said, the hell with this, and put around the back seat of the patrol car. And every day during the summertime, they'd go by that ice plant, get a big-ass block of ice. Them right. some bitches had AC. You hear me? <laughs> so they leave the renders roll down, and that, that was his first ride-up. That's all he got was a ride-up. So it wouldn't happen today. It wouldn't happen today. Awesome. What's your favorite drink of choice? Uh, water. Water. Okay. All right. Or Blue Moon with the whole orange. <laughs> <laughs> I love some Blue Moon. I love some Blue Moon. Man, I, you got anything else? I appreciate you coming down. I've wanted to do this for a long while. Oh, there's going to be photos that pop up. Several years ago, four or five, three or four or five years yeah. ago, um, a friend contacted me and said that he had bought Whitman's Arsenal in an auction. Um, I reached out to Lewis family asking if that's something that he would want to see. Would it not be? He did. So we got to take Whitman's arsenal. I didn't know the story of him shooting at the weapon, trying to take it out of battery. We show up, we're unpacking Bowie knife, transistor radio, uh, I think a pistol, a couple of rifles, a shotgun. And pull a rifle out with a round through the barrel um, and he's like I see the lights go off and and that's how I learned the story of him trying to shoot at weapons to take the battery so there will be images we'll, we'll show it's awesome. of him shooting at Whitman and then him a couple of years ago holding the rifle that was shot that day. That's badass. Uh, I, I thought we better explain those pictures when they pop up of, yeah. of how that occurred. How was that? Was that weird? Well, I never knew it. I, was, you know, I knew it would fired at it. Didn't know it was hit. I noticed it taking it down. Was it surreal seeing them, holding them? Uh, I, I would have liked to have had the rifle just for keepsake. Uh, he was wanting way too much money for the rifle. I've got a picture. It's a whole lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah. So that explains the pictures. I thought we better explain how no. No. how in modern time he's holding that. You got anything else, brother? I got nothing. Man, uh, thanks for coming down. I always like meeting new friends, and I think we uh, you know, we came here as strangers, and we're leaving as friends. So thank you again. Thank you for your service to the citizens of Austin. Thank you for your service in the military. And got a wonderful family um so thank you for coming down thank you I appreciate it. it man I've you guys to do this a long yeah. time and thank you for lewis family uh for being not but great friends also but for making sure this this happened and you guys got yeah. to come down 100 well, i've enjoyed it 
Yeah. Love you guys dearly. Yep. Yep. You guys stay safe out there. Uh, you know, it's getting where it's, it's, it, it's in the winter months. And typically that's when we see an increase in violence against law enforcement. So stay safe. And as always, a God bless you and God bless Texas. We're out.